Welcome to our Soul Food Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. See, last time I spoke, we did chapter one, so I didn't get to start all over. It's a new year. And good thing it's not a new year, right? It's still the end of the year, which is the subject of chapter two, the end result of everything. But let's pray, and then we'll delve into that. Father, we just lift you up as we get started. We thank you that you are king of the universe and that you've called us to your city to be a light on the hill, to be people that, that present your kingdom to this world that is in rebellion. And we pray that we would truly become those who submit to you with pure hearts and right hearts. And we just lift you up as we get started. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, Psalms chapter 1 kind of reviewed two different characters, the blessed and the wicked. And we're going to reference that a little bit here in a minute as we go through chapter 2, because there's a similarity going on in chapter 2, in the same way that there's the blessed man and the wicked man. In chapter 2, there are the two nations battling, the city of God and the city of the earth, the, the rulers of the earth, and they are in conflict. And we're going to see that as we get through it. Verse 1 says, Why are the nations in an uproar, and the people devise a vain thing? Uh, this is, it's interesting, the, the first part. He starts with a question. He says, why? Why is life and this earth the way it is? Why are people always anxious, always angry, always frustrated? Why are they always built up? Why is it this way? And why do people think about things that are just vain? They're useless. They're pointless things. What is, why is society the way it is? And I think that's an, a, an honest question we all need to ask and should be asking all the time. Why is it the way it is? And we uh, see this as a very clear statement that this is the reality and and we're always trying to get away from it so why is it that way why is it that everybody's all devising a vain thing why is everybody in, enraged that's another way of putting the uproar and I would pose that it's because of pride 
It's a very simple answer. Because we're all people in rebellion. We're all people of pride. We want our own way. And that's, that's the simple answer, and we're going to get to that as it goes through. But the simple answer is we look around society and we see it the way it really is. We have to recognize that the real problem is that we're not in submission to God. When we see it that way, that's the real problem. Interesting, the word here for rage is they're causing a commotion uh, and they're conspiring to do something. But it's, this is the only use of that word in the entire Old Testament, which is kind of interesting. But in Daniel 6, we see a similar word, but it's in, because Daniel's in Aramaic instead of Hebrew, it's almost the same word, uh, but it's different enough because they're two different languages. But it's in the same context in Daniel 6. If you'll remember what was going on in Daniel 6, Daniel had all these government officials who just didn't like him because he worshipped God and he didn't do what they wanted him to do. He didn't kind of fit into the mold of society in, uh, in Babylon. And so they said, they were, it says that they were in a rage, in an uproar, and they began to conspire against him. And the, the way that they did that was they went to the ruler, King Darius, and said, hey, let's make a rule that nobody can worship anything but you, because you're the greatest thing there is as the ruler of Babylon. And he's like, yeah, nobody should worship anything but me. And we see that in governments today. That's the same concept of communism. We only worship the government. And if you worship something else, you are in opposition of the government. Same thing in socialism. Socialism purely worships society and people. We are the greatest. There is no God that's above us. And so we deny God when, when we adhere to those systems. And the reality is that is the desire of the world system to be in control of everything and to completely deny God. So why are they in a rage? Because they're in denial of God. They not only are in uproar and devising these things, but they're imagining or devising something vain. This is interesting in verse, uh, this is verse 1. In verse 2 of, book, of uh, Psalms 1, the opposite is going on. His uh, meditation, the same word that devise and or imagine in some of the translations, the same word is meditate, or the same idea is that they meditate on a vain thing. Their whole thought process is on vanity, on something that's useless, that's not going to be produced. 
are not going to produce, as opposed to those who are blessed, who are meditating on the law and on God and on his glory. And you see the contrast from the first chapter. So, verse 2 says, The kings of the earth take their stand. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. Who are they? That's the Lord and his anointed. The whole attitude of the nations, the people, the rulers, and the kings is let's rebel against God and his anointed. And we see in Acts, they reference this in chapter 4, where they're conspiring against Jesus, um, that the nations were in an uproar, and they, they, that's why they killed Jesus. Uh, we see the same idea uh, in the end of Revelation, where the nations are in an uproar because they've decided... This is at the, the end of the Millennial Kingdom, where they've decided, we don't want to follow God. We want our own rule, and we are going to throw off God, and we're not going to submit to him any longer. Yet, this is the attitude of the kings of the earth. I think it's interesting that there is a distinction between kings and rulers. Um, some have have applied this not only to uh, physical rulers, but spiritual rulers, so the prince of the power of the air, the, the spiritual authorities in the world, that the kings or the, the physical leadership of government is literally conspiring with a satanic and demonic entities to conspire against God. And you see the same vision and the same ideology playing out when you watch uh, current the, the Marvel theater. When you go to Marvel, what's it about? It's about these entities that are, quote, gods coming to conspire and rule and make humanity the greatest and destroying whoever wants authority or has authority. It's an interesting play on on the Luciferian doctrine that we will conquer God. We will take it over. Same problem that happened back in Genesis when they they built the tower. God came down and said, hey, this is not where you need to be. You are not going to be greater than God. And his response is verse 4. He says, he who sits in heaven laughs, and the Lord scoffs at him. It's interesting that their their heart in verse 3 is they want to tear off these fetters, yet Christ's attitude when he says, take my yoke upon me and learn from me, because I'm gentle and, and, and... You'll find rest when you submit to my leadership. And you see anything but rest in this, because they're not in submission. They're not in 
in accord with what God has for them. They want to rebel. And the reality is they can't have rest. They can't have peace because they have rebelled against God. And God is the God of peace. So there can't be peace. Verse 4, we have God sitting in heaven laughing. And the reality is that it is a joke that people think that they can take over God, that they can destroy their creator. I mean, that's pretty insane to think about it. When you really put it in context, a God that created the universe, you're just going to throw off his authority as if it's just something easily gotten rid of. So rightly, he's kind of scoffing at them. And it says that we're seated in the heavens, and there's a place where we can rightly look at the whole situation and, and realize it's just a joke that people are in such rebellion against God. It's not going to turn out well for them. He who sits in heaven laughs. Then, future tense, he will speak to them in his anger and his wrath and uh, terrify them in his fury. That's his vexatum and his sore displeasure. Saying, but as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain, and I will surely tell of the decrees of the Lord. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I'll surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You'll break them with a rod of iron, and shatter them like earthenware, a potter's vessel. What's going on here? This is a future statement. What's the? This is something that is going to happen at this point. You know, we, we take verse 6. I've installed my king upon the holy mountain. And we, we, we think of that in this pleasant way. Yet in verse 5, he's saying this out of fury. Out of anger. You guys have created evil government. A wicked society that needs to be dealt with. And he says, I'm going to deal with it by installing a new king. And that new king is Jesus. And in one sense, he has installed Jesus already. He is installed here as the church. That we are supposed to be those that are sharing the truth of his love and his grace and the hope for peace for the people around us. That there is an answer to this society in uprage, uproar, in rage, in turmoil, whatever you want to call it. 
The answer is Jesus and submission to his rule. Without that, it's doomed. All of us are doomed without that. Without submission to Christ. He says, I am I have installed my king upon Zion. Despite the fact that you're paying attention you're not paying attention to me at this point. I am declaring this is what's going on. And we see this happening as we read through Revelation. You see a return of Christ where he installs authority in Jerusalem and he takes his seat as king of the world. And that's coming. And it's not a pleasant sight as he arrives. But even now, he has installed him as king of this world. And it's our place to establish that rule, to establish his authority and submit to it. I will surely tell of the decrees of the Lord, he said to me. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Interesting, this is the statement Jesus, that Jesus hears as he is uh, in the baptism. God announces, today I've begotten you. This is happening, has happened, past tense, in Christ already. We see in Hebrews them talking about the same statement using the same reference to declare that Jesus is greater than the angels. Who are the angels? If we back up to the rulers or principalities that are conspiring with the kings of the earth. I think there's a good possibility that there's a much more physical manifestation of that about to happen in this world ask of me and I'll give you the nations as your inheritance and your very ends of the earth as your possession there is a promise made for Jesus to take control total control you shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. There's a custom in, in the early Mesopotamian area where they would make uh, a pot and, and inscribe the names of all the rulers around them. And when the new king was anointed, they would, they would say, may you crush like a, like this pot, all the enemies around you. And so the, the imagery uh, is of a new ruler taking over and being established as the only rule in the in the area. And so he's he's taking from that imagery. Interesting, if you want to move over to Revelation, just see something 
chapter 2. Um, Revelation uh, 2.24 But I say to you, uh, the rest are in, who are in Thyatira, who do not hold to these teachings, who have not known the deep things of Satan, and they, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have hold fast until I come, and he who overcomes... He who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessel, vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my father, I will give him the morning star, and he who has ears let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Who here is supposed to rule? In this, it's those who overcome. There is a picture of the ruling, those who are ruling with this rod of iron, are those who have overcome with Christ. That is, the church. So there is some prophetic statement about us as well. That our authority has way more power than we ever imagined. It's not our authority. It's Christ's authority. You are wielding his authority even now. You are to be seated in the heavens. It's real easy to draw back in fear from a society that puts you down. But we have overcome. Christ has overcome all of this already. It's completed. The work is done. And so we can rest assured that what we're speaking to this world, when we speak of peace, when we speak of the grace of the Lord, and when we speak of the judgment of God, it is with authority that it is finished. Now, what do we do about that? How do we respond? Verse 10, Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, be wise, and be instructed. O judges of the earth, Worship and serve the Lord with reverence and rejoicing and, and trembling. In the meantime, in other words, these kings have a response. And the reality is that the Bible calls us kings and rulers now. <coughs> We, as the, those who are called to the obedience of Christ, we need to be wise and be warned. There is a judgment coming. 
And we need to be ready to be honest with the people around us that it is urgent that they submit to God. That they find that truth. That they find a real relationship with Jesus as their ruler, as their king, as their God. That's your purpose. That's your call as a Christian. That's what God has called each of us to. To be in service of the government, the city of God. Not in service of the city of this world that is in the midst of destruction and self-destruction it is. Verse 12, do homage to the Son. It's interesting, this word um, can be translated a couple different ways. To kiss the king, to kiss his feet, to kiss, do homage and kiss him. That he not become angry. The imagery is, is similar to coming to the king and kissing his ring. It's recognizing his authority and submitting to that authority in a passionate way. And that's what God wants from us. A passion that submits to him, that falls in love with truth and righteousness and holiness, that doesn't want to anger God that wants to be right with him. Do homage to the Son that he not become angry and you perish in the way for his wrath may soon be kindled or when his wrath is kindled but a little at the beginning of his wrath. How blessed are all who take refuge and trust in him. There are two kingdoms in this world. One that submits to God and one that is in rebellion against God. And in the end, only one can rule. There will only be one winner. And the time to respond to his call is now. To submit to him and be blessed. Or continue in rebellion and be judged. No matter what government is set up, if you rebel against that government, that government will put you down. You go over to Burma and try to start a fight with the government, it's not going to last very long. But that's what the world is doing now. They're starting a fight with God. And it's not going to last long. It is not going to produce anything. It is a vain thing.
Matthew 28 says, Go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them all that I've commanded you. And I'm with you, even to the age to come. Your call is to go out and make disciples. Make ambassadors to this kingdom. Be ambassadors so that others will be ambassadors too. Our purpose is to love the king and to enthrone him in our lives. When we do that and as we do that, peace comes. To the measure that we don't do that, our lives are in an uproar. Our lives are chaotic. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind into his image so that we can become the people he's called us to be. I just challenge you this year. Enthrone the king in your life. Deal with the rebellious parts in your own life. Put them down and bring them in submission to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are king of heaven. That you have brought us to this place to hear your word and to respond. We pray that your word would not return void, but that each of us would be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we would come into true submission to you and be your servants, speaking your truth, not our own. In Jesus' name, amen.